Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning, and they do a great job. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Rachel Glazer is a uh, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We're talking about woke corporations. And Dave Vigo, the author of The Devil at Our Door, Stepanink, founder and CEO of Executive Management Services. It is August the 27th, and on this day in 1776, during the American Revolution, British forces under General William Howe defeated Patriot forces under General George Washington at the Battle of Brooklyn in New York. On August 22nd, Howe's large army landed on Long Island, hoping to capture New York City and gain control of the Hudson River, a victory that would divide the rebellious colonies in half. On August 27th, Redcoats marched against the Patriot position at Brooklyn Heights, overcoming the Americans at Gowanus Pass and then outflanking the entire Continental Army. Al failed to follow the advice of his subordinates and stormed the redoubts at Brooklyn Heights. And on August the 29th, General Washington ordered a brilliant retreat to Manhattan by boat, thus saving the Continental Army by uh, capture. At the ba- Battle of Brooklyn, the Americans suffered 1,000 casualties to the British loss of only 400 men. On September the 15th, the British captured New York City. Just uh, it's so interesting to understand how dire the circumstances were for Washington of the Revolutionary Army. Uh, a terrific book about this is Patrick O'Donnell's The Indispensables. I highly recommend it. It really gets down in understanding the granular level of war during the American Revolution. <clears throat> the Indispensables by Patrick O'Donnell. Tropical Storm Ida formed Thursday after strengthening from a tropical depression, according to an update from the National Hurricane Center. The National Hurricane Center is now issuing a hurricane tropical storm and tropical storm surge uh, watches for a portion of the northern Gulf Coast. Those four folks, they're going to get it again. A hurricane watch has been issued for Cameron, Louisiana, eastward to the Mississippi-Alabama border, including Lake Portchetrain, uh, Lake Maripas, and metropolitan New Orleans. Tropical storm uh, watch has been issued from the Mississippi-Alabama border. To uh, Ida's sustained winds are estimated to be 40 miles an hour. However, they're expected to get up to 110 miles an hour, be a Category 3 or stronger. Kind of whistling past the graveyard here, uh, missing the Paradise Coast. We're grateful for that, but feel for the people that are going to get the brunt of this up in the northern coast. Well, the big story, of course, is what's happening in Afghanistan and Kabul. American forces in Kabul were braced for more Islamic State attacks while winding up their evacuation mission, and as the number of U.S. troops killed in Thursday's suicide bomber attack rose to 13, a U.S. official told Reuters that the number of U.S. personnel killed was likely to rise even higher. More than a dozen were wounded, uh, hundreds uh, hurt and uh, maimed the uh, Afghan citizens. The attack marked the first time in military casualty Afghanistan since 2020, and represented the deadliest incident for American troops in the country in a decade. At least two explosions tore through crowds that thronged the gates of Hamid Karzai International Airport, despite uh, the desperate to leave uh, Afghanistan since the Taliban seized power almost two weeks ago, ahead of the U.S. President Joe Biden's August 31st deadline to withdraw American troops after two decades. In a statement, Islamic State uh, claimed <clears throat> responsibility and said one of its suicide bombers had targeted translators and collaborators with the American Army. Marine Corps General Frank McKenzie, head of the U.S. Military Central Command, told a news briefing that the explosions were followed by gunfight. McKenzie said that the threat from Islamic State persists alongside other active streams. We believe it's in their desire to continue these attacks, and we expect those attacks to continue, and we're doing everything we can to be prepared, McKenzie said. 
U.S. officials said one bomb detonated near the airport's Abbey Gate and the other was close to the nearby Barron Hotel. The United States has been racing to carry out the airlift before its military is set to fully withdraw from the country by August 31st. McKenzie said the evacuation mission was not going to stop. I think we can continue to conduct our mission even while we're receiving attacks like this, he said. <clears throat> he said there's about 1,000 U.S. citizens estimated to still be in Afghanistan. Man, that's a really low figure compared to what I've heard, up to 10, 20,000, even more. A spokesperson for the State Department said there are more than two-thirds of these Americans have informed if they are taking steps to leave Afghanistan. Uh, that they want to leave Afghanistan. Islamic State militants have emerged in Afghanistan as enemies both of the West and the Taliban. A 2001 U.S.-led invasion toppled the Taliban from power after the group had harbored the al-Qaeda militants responsible for the September 11th attacks. The U.S. military death toll in Afghanistan since the war started stands at roughly 2,500. Afghan health officials were quoted as saying 60 civilians died but it was not clear whether there was a complete count. Video uploaded by the Afghan journalist showed dozens of bodies and wounded victims thrown around the canal at the edge of the airport. U.S. officials have said there is about 5,200 American troops providing airport security. The attack came after the United States and allies had urged Afghans to leave the area around the airport because of a threat of Islamic State. They did get a warning, and uh, this turned out to be true. I hope People listen. Many p- people listened to uh, the warning because they were right. Although nobody said it was going to be a suicide bomber, it turned out to be t- a couple of them. U.S. Embassy in Kabul a day earlier advised Americans to avoid traveling to the airport. The United States and its allies have mounted one of the biggest air evacuations in history, bringing about 95,700 people, including 13,400 on Wednesday, according to the White House. Now, out of those. Close to 100,000 folks. How many are American citizens? 5%? Sad. So sad. The Taliban got the names from U.S. officials of American citizens, green card holders, and Afghan allies who'd been allowed in the militant-controlled perimeter of the Kabul airport, permission that outraged critics called it a kill list, citing three unnamed U.S. congressional sources. Political said that the move was designed to expedite the evacuation the tens of thousands fleeing Afghanistan in the wake of the Taliban takeover. Basically, they just put all those names on a kill list, one unnamed defense official told Political. It's just appalling and shocking and makes you feel unclean. A spokesman for U.S. Central Command declined to make a comment. Can you imagine that? The head of the military and uh, intelligence sources giving the names of Americans and those uh, who should be allowed to leave Afghanistan at the airport certainly is a kill list, isn't it? Well, former President Donald Trump didn't have a sense of humor about what happened uh, yesterday. Uh, he had an interview with uh, Breitbart, and his, uh, Joe Biden's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan is the single most embarrassing moment in the history of our country, said President Trump. Well, the only thing that surprised me is that everybody knew how absolutely stupid this situation in Afghanistan was that it should have never, ever been this way, Trump said, because everybody knows, a child would know, that you take the military out last. You get everybody out, and then you get the, all the equipment. You take your $83 billion worth of equipment, you blow it up in the bases, and perhaps you stay at, or you uh, take a certain area that you want to keep, like Belgram, uh, Bagram, uh, and keep the base at Bagram because it's next to China and Iran. It costs billions and billions of dollars to build. And maybe you just keep that for other reasons. But everybody knows that you would take the military out last, not first. And they took the military out first, he said. Biden at the press conference on Thursday again tried to blame Trump for his own failures in Afghanistan, a recurring theme from Biden and his allies as they struggled to keep uh, with the deepening and quickening, worsening uh, crisis in Afghanistan. But Trump noted that in his interview uh, that this deal signed in February 2020 after Trump and his Secretary of State Mike Pompeo negotiated terms with the Taliban, and Trump himself, as well as Pompeo, had meetings with the Taliban leader. It led to no American casualties in Afghanistan since it was signed until Thursday under Biden. And the people that I was doing a very good job of dealing with, remember, 
We hadn't had a soldier killed in a year and a half, Trump told Breitbart News on Wednesday night. That was part of, that was a condition. No soldiers killed, no American soldier was killed, said Trump. Obviously, all that changed on Thursday when Americans were hit with the sobering news that a suicide bomber allegedly affiliated with ISIS-K, whom Taliban security officials outside the airport allegedly allowed in, blew himself up, taking more than a dozen American service members with him, as well as many Afghans and injured countless others. Joe Biden is feckless. He is ineffective. He should not be president of the United States. What has happened is just absolutely a smear on the reputation and the honor and the brand of the United States of America. It's just really tragic. Biden is inept. And uh, if you watch that press conference yesterday, it was weak. It was uh, unbelievable. Uh, by the way, Trump and former Melania, First Lady and Melania Trump issued a joint statement Thursday issuing their condolences to the slain service members and the outrage at the utter failure that led to this. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and uh, now building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out by visiting more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, William, uh, right now we've got all kinds of shenanigans going on with regard to 
uh, infrastructure bills, the budget. There's a $3.5 trillion budget, apparently, that passed uh, by, by the Democrats uh, in, in uh, the House of Representatives. And there's also this $3.5 trillion uh, uh, spending bill that would be for infrastructure, human infrastructure, I guess. So maybe you could give us an update. Well, as we've said before, trillion, unfortunately, has become the new billion. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's where we are, alas, with respect to our nation's finances. Uh, regarding the, the ongoing saga over these, these dueling infrastructure packages, of which you alluded to one at the outset of this conversation, um, just to set the table briefly, we, we got two of these infrastructure bills out there ongoing. We've got the $1.2 trillion bipartisan package, of which $550 billion is new spending on traditional infrastructure. It's paid for primarily with budget gimmicks um, and would add about a quarter trillion dollars to the deficit. Mm. Then, But uh, alas, that's nothing compared to the $3.5 trillion. This is the other measure, and this is Democrat only, so it's not bipartisan. Um, $3.5 trillion human infrastructure measure that in essence has every imaginable progressive wish list under the sun. Um, so uh, the status of these bills is the bipartisan measure, the $1.2 trillion measure, has already passed the Senate with a healthy GOP support. 19 Republican senators voted for the measure, um, whereas the $3.5 trillion measure, or I should say the, the $1.2 trillion measure has passed the Senate, but not the House. The $3.5 trillion measure has to go through a number of procedural hoops in both chambers of Congress before it can uh, circumvent the filibuster, which is, you know, again, it's a Democrat-only package. So that's where things stand. The big news this week was in the House, where we saw this political dynamic that we've discussed in a number of previous calls um, that was playing out between the moderates and the progressives. Um, so th this is something that our listeners, and, and certainly I have my fingers crossed, that, that could sink the entire bill, this infighting uh, amongst Democrats. In essence, moderates want only the $1.2 trillion measure and are very wary of spending anything more, whereas progressives are, are wary of spending anything less than $3.5 trillion. So these are mutually exclusive goals, mm -hmm. um, and the Democrats have a slim majority. Uh, this week on Monday, Pelosi scheduled a test vote, so it was one of these procedural hoops um, for, for moving along the $3.5 trillion measure. Moderates, a group of 10 centrists uh, led by Representative Josh Gothamer uh, out of New Jersey, they, in essence, gummed up the works, and uh, ultimately they rolled Speaker Pelosi. Really? She initially, uh, yes, uh, last week she had dismissed the effort as amateur hour, quote-unquote, um, this week she ultimately caved on Monday night. Uh, she, After trying to twist arms all weekend, she was unsuccessful. And the moderates, their primary goal was to get an immediate vote on the $1.2 trillion measure. They didn't get that. However, they did get a commitment um, from the Speaker for a vote on the $1.2 trillion measure by September 27th. Um, now, currently, the House is in recess. They get back September 20th. Uh, th that timing suggests that uh, uh, if Pelosi sticks to her word, no sure thing, um, that the House would indeed vote on the bipartisan bill, the $1.2 trillion measure, before it voted on the $3.5 trillion measure, which is what the moderates set out to do and which is a net of much of the House progressives. So it's a fluid dynamic. Um, but again, I've got my fingers crossed that these mutually exclusive goals between the moderates and the progressives could sink the entire thing. Hmm. Um, so, I thought I, I thought I read that the uh, moderates caved and agreed and voted uh, for the three point five trillion dollar uh, bill, or at least the procedural or the the initial commitment to the bill. Perhaps I got that wrong. No, well, it, it was it's a matter of nuance. So. Indeed, I'll note this as well. Many reporters are, are uh, uh, keen on not crossing the speaker and thereby uh, uh. not availing themselves of certain news channels. So the, the manner in which this has been presented perhaps skews in a, in a pro-Pelosi fashion. Um, but the fact of the matter is, last week she was calling this amateur hour. 
And this week, ultimately, uh, the moderates seem to have gotten their way. I mean, you know, Pelosi initially, it seemed as though she wasn't going to concede anything. Yeah. Ultimately, the, the moderates postponed this vote by 24 hours and seemed to win a couple uh, uh, big-time concessions that, again, ultimately, I'm hopeful, but what happens is the moderates get their way, but then that turns off the 100 progressives in the House, so they won't vote for anything, and then the, the entire effort uh, <laughs> falls apart. That would be uh, wonderful. I note here uh, that Congress just spent $5.5 trillion in stimulus, yeah. and that r- regardless, independent of these two infrastructure packages, there's $700 billion worth of infrastructure spending already in the works, which is a lot of money. So I don't think we necessarily need to spend anything more on infrastructure, given how much money has already gone out the door and given that we've got $28 trillion in national debt. I couldn't agree more. Now, what's happening with the Senate? I know that uh, Cinema uh, and Manchin have said that they're not going to vote for anything that's not bipartisan. Where do we stand? Is this going to pass? Well, in, in the Senate, so again, the $1.2 trillion measure is passed, and the Senate has already jumped through a couple of the procedural hoops for the $3.5 trillion measure, but the, it's the same dynamic as in the House, and it's which you alluded to, and that is Senators Cinema and Manchin, so the moderate senators from Arizona and West Virginia, respectively, have publicly balked at the $3.5 trillion figure, and ultimately, because the Senate is divided 50-50, the Democrats will only be able to spend as much as Manchin and Cinema allow. Um, at this point, they haven't let on. They haven't put forth the number. The number could be zero. I mean, yeah. they, they, they may share that sentiment with the House moderates, whereby they only want to do the $1.2 trillion measure and are completely wary of the $3.5 trillion measure. Um, so it, it, the situation is fluid. But uh, the smoke signals they sent out so far are such that the 3.5 figure won't, or 3.5 trillion dollar price tag will not fly with them. Um, I should add here that again we're seeing brinksmanship between the moderates and the progressives because this week Senator Bernie Sanders, who's the chief proponent of the 3.5 trillion dollar price tag, he dug in his heels. Um, so uh, again, we're seeing between. Manchin uh, and Cinema on the one hand, and Sanders on the other, the same dynamic dynamic as we're seeing in the House between the moderates and the House Progressive Caucus, yeah. whereby they have mutually exclusive goals. Well, Sanders has a pretty good history of, of uh, yielding. <laughs> I'm not sure he'll stand up for what he really believes, but let's hope. Anyhow, so um, uh, before I let you go, uh, the FDA passed and approved the vaccine. It seemed very political at the timing of all this, but what, any thoughts? Well, I would say in addition to political, how about nonsensical? I mean, <clears throat> like, I assume like me, you've already gotten your jab. Like most of our listeners, like 60 to 70 percent of Americans. So it, it, for me, it calls into question FDA's entire existence. If it's only now that they're approving this vaccine, which we've already all taken and has already proved effective. Um, I'll note that throughout this pandemic, the FDA has acquitted itself quite poorly um, and has repeatedly proven to be a sclerotic agency that has gotten in the way of dynamic and effective responses to the COVID pandemic. So this seems to be par for the course for what appears to be a net negative um, agency when it comes to the utility, public utility yeah, in this pandemic. So interesting. William Yeaman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. William, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. We'll continue the conversation about the pandemic. That He's the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app from the choicesocial.us website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So uh, I thought we'd just pick up uh, the FDA now has approved the vaccine. It's kind of a, to me, look like the, it's, it's all aligned with politics more than anything else. But I'd just be interested in your thoughts about this. Well, the Pfizer vaccine, not all of the vaccines, but the Pfizer vaccine now has full FDA approval. You see, before the FDA had allowed it onto the market, under what they call an emergency use authorization. That's not a full approval. It is a partial and temporary approval that only is, it remains in effect as long as there's a public health emergency. The moment the Secretary of Health and Human Services declares the public health emergency over, that emergency use authorization disappears, and it is, again, illegal to market that vaccine in the United States. So when the FDA granted full approval to the the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, it was sort of interesting seeing the reaction of a couple of my uh, colleagues at the Cato Institute. One of them, who's a physician, Dr. Jeff Singer, said, wow, this is great. There's going to be a lot of vaccine hesitancy that this is going to address. More people are going to take the vaccine now that the FDA has given it full approval and will do a better job of containing the coronavirus. My reaction was, uh, I called it two cheers for the uh, full full approval of the Pfizer vaccine because while what Dr. Singer said was correct, we don't need the FDA to tell us that this uh, drug is safe and effective for us to use. Uh, we should be able to rely on the evidence ourselves. The FDA had already made it available to people on the market through that emergency use authorization. So, so there's no immediate gain in uh, our freedom to make our own health choices here. But by giving the vaccine full approval, that means that when the public health emergency ends, the FDA won't go back to won't automatically go back to violating our rights and telling us we can't take this vaccine. 
And then another colleague of ours, who's the uh, Tom Fiery, who's the managing editor of our Regulation magazine, he pointed out that there's just a, a layer of absurdity to all of this debate over the vaccine because a lot of the most strident anti-vaccination people who say that they're anti-government were also saying that they w- weren't going to take the vaccine because they were because it hadn't received full approval yet. So there's a layer of irony there to the fact that people who say that they are uh, uh, small government conservatives or libertarians and therefore they don't need the government uh, running this part of their lives were also waiting on the government's okay for them before they went ahead and took this vaccine. So I think on the whole it's a good thing that the FDA has done this, but... Uh, it also this episode also illustrates why we don't want these the FDA making these decisions for us in the first place. Right. Well, my understanding is the FDA kind of shir- uh, circuited their their own process, and they said to uh, to Pfizer, "Well, look, you, there's still some work that has to be done, but we'd like you to go ahead and do that. And just report back to us. We trust you." <laughs> so, uh, in other words, which which allowed them to shorten the process by a couple of years. So. Uh, I guess my point is, you know, th- there are therapeutics right now that we've discovered are pretty effective, and that would include the uh, 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 monoclonal, uh, what is it, the, uh, the uh, I forgot the name of it, anyhow, uh, that we're monoclonal using. Monoclonal antibodies. Yeah, here in Florida, we're, we're uh, opening up centers across the state for people. To, and it, apparently, it's just uh, Fauci actually said, hey, that's pretty good, I don't, that'll uh, really help. Uh, hydroxychloroquine, of course, is another therapeutic that apparently has good results. But if, in fact, these uh, therapeutics had been approved and uh, highly touted by the FDA, then that the uh, the emergency uh, use of the vaccine would not have been allowed. Correct? Uh, if uh, I don't think so, because the vaccines do a much better job <laughs> of protecting people from severe COVID than those treatments do. And uh, I don't know how much the FDA has touted those treatments, but uh, in, in all cases, what the FDA should be doing is not standing in the way of you making your own medical decisions right. and letting you make those decisions in consultation with either your doctor or whatever uh, sources of information you trust, because what will happen then is we will get promising new therapies, including preventive treatments like vaccines, onto the market faster, we will vet them faster, and we will see less loss of life. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be any unsafe medicines that that get onto the market and that people won't take any unsafe medicines. Yes, they will. That happens with the FDA taking forever, uh, even when the FDA takes forever to approve a new drug, but... We will uh, the the benefits of getting beneficial new drugs onto the market faster will vastly outweigh the harms done by the the admittedly larger number of unsafe drugs or unsafe uses of drugs uh, that that occur. So interesting because I know there's uh, many drugs are approved for a certain purpose, but it end up being used for a far different purpose. Uh, when I was having before my back surgery, I was taking gabapentin. Gabapentin, of course, is a uh, drug for seizure, for seizures. But for some reason, it also quelled the pain and quelled the uh, nerve pain created by uh, back pain. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, there's a lot of drugs that, for example, in, in this case, for example, we've identified a couple that actually work to uh, mitigate the symptoms of uh, the virus, and that would include the monoclonal uh, antibodies and hydroxychloroquine as well. I have taken gabapentin as well. I think I had a reaction to that. You know, I can't pinpoint whether it was the drug that gave me that reaction. And again, you know, like you, I took it for an off-label use for nerve pain. Right. And uh, and that I think is a good illustration of the dynamic that I'm describing. Yeah. Uh, we will find what works uh, faster. Um, when we have the freedom to decide for ourselves whether uh, whether to take a medication, but there will be dangers involved. You know what? Uh, there, there's always side effects that that I experience. 
uh, illustrate that. Yeah, no, there's uh, unintended consequences for taking anything, quite frankly. So I think we should all be very careful about what we put in our bodies, extremely careful. Uh, And as we've discussed before, I was very uh, hesitant to take the the vaccine. I I took the Moderna vaccine back in April, uh, both doses. And uh, for many of the reasons that you mentioned, uh, that it was that it, it has not received the vetting that most drugs and vaccines that the FDA approves uh, receive, and so I was concerned about this. We even talked about how concerned I was about my son getting the Pfizer vaccine. Right. My son, who is twelve years old, uh, but uh, there is a lot of data to show that the, these vaccines are safe and effective at. Uh, preventing the coronavirus from uh, spreading or causing serious disease. And the evidence is overwhelming that they do a better job of this than any of the treatments for COVID-19, including the ones you mentioned. Well, uh, from your lips to God's ear, I just hope that we don't end up being a a cash machine having to get periodic uh, booster shots from uh, Pfizer and others uh, because of this uh, because of this pandemic because of it's weakened our immune system. So I hope you're absolutely right about that. Michael Cannon again, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Wanted to talk to you about uh, a couple of other things. We're going to have to wait until next week, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to it. Thanks, Bob. My t- myself indeed. Thank you. All right, coming up, Rachel Glazer. Glazer. She is uh, the uh, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, a limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us Rachel Gresler. She is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Rachel. For our listeners that may not be familiar with the Heritage Foundation, maybe you can tell us about it. Yes, we are a free market organization um, committed to preserving liberty and opportunity for Americans. We're located in Washington, D.C., but we've got um, folks throughout the country um, and also a lot of supporters 
uh, over a million of them throughout the U.S. and other areas. And we're just looking to create opportunities for people through that individual personal responsibility and freedom. Yeah, outstanding organization, Heritage dot org is the website heritage.org i encourage you to check it out so rachel you wrote a piece american express wages a woke war on itself maybe you can tell us about it yeah and this is something that we're seeing coming from an american express and a lot of other companies verizon the tech platforms this is becoming kind of the woke thing to do is to embark on these quote racial justice initiatives that are actually including training programs for their employees that are essentially teaching people to judge their coworkers and to judge the world based on these outward characteristics that are not what matters and that are the opposite of what we've been taught. And it's also the opposite of just basic economic principles and also things that are violating civil rights and equal justice laws here, um, telling people that they have to categorize one another and themselves into categories based on their race, their religion, their gender, their gender identity, and that then those characteristics should determine how they treat other people and how they respond to them. And really, this is just ignoring the basics of you know economics and also a warped definition of justice here. And if the company actually follows what it is preaching to its employees, it would actually result in the company's demise. They would no longer exist if they're following these types of recommendations. They've invited people to lecture them about racial justice and what initiatives they can take. And when you look at a company like American Express, they're delivering a product. It's supposed to be in a colorblind way. You give a credit to people based on their credit worthiness. Um, but that actually tends to have some differences if you just draw it by racial lines and not based on credit worthiness itself. Um, and so if they were to instead change those policies, as some of the people they've invited to speak to them have told them to do and to not base this on creditworthiness, but to instead give their products based on characteristics such as race to try to correct past disparities, well, then they will no longer exist. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, that's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help their current customers. And it's not going to promote, you know, growth and opportunity in the economy at large. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a pretty good signal for you day traders out there to go ahead and sell American Express short <laughs> because it's going to lead to the demise of the... Uh, yeah, I can't figure out why these companies choose to turn off about half of their base uh, with this type of behavior. I, 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 well, part of me was well, maybe it's because uh, the United States is such a small part of their total uh, business. I don't know, but... Uh, where's the win in this for them? I think it's in this notion that they're woke and, you know, they're responding and they're doing the, the thing that's right. But, you know, the, the question is whether they're not going to cross that line because they're doing something right now that gives them a public image and they're training their employees in these ideas. But will they actually take those actions themselves? Will they say, hey, we're not we're going to disregard your credit score if you are of a sexual minority or of a racial minority, and we're going to instead extend you credit when we know that we shouldn't, and we're going to extend you lower interest rates, and then we're going to lose money on you, and that's where it all falls apart. Yeah, And that's where <laughs> these people who are you know advocating for, quote, racial justice have not actually thought through this because you can't do that and still provide a product or a service of value to people because you would lose your customer base um, that has all the good credit and you're only gonna keep the bad credit and then you go out of business. And if we're talking about people you know, that are using a credit card to be able to put a payment to get their car fixed to get to work, and now they no longer have access to credit. Who does that help? Exactly. Um, and it goes across the board, all types of different products and services that will be out there. We're seeing it creep into the education curriculums and saying instead of actually focusing on helping children learn, children regardless of the race, but helping them to succeed, let's instead just say you don't have to pass these requirements or we're going to eliminate the advanced curriculums because that seems like not as many minorities are able to participate in them. That doesn't help anybody in that, and that just brings everybody down. Yeah. I mean, American, I think it was United Airlines, if I'm not mistaken, said they're going to half of their new hires uh, in the airlines were going to be from uh, minorities and black or uh, people of color. And to me, I would prefer to hear something. We're going to cannibalize every other company, take all their good employees, and have the very best service in the <laughs> in the world as opposed to something like that and it, it, it just is very concerning that the eye is not on performance it's on somehow 
meeting some sort of that by in my opinion affirmative action has been a total death knell for the united states and that we should hopefully the supreme court will correct that yeah and it's just destroying you know the values that america was founded on and the reason that so many people want to come here is the notion that if you work hard you can get ahead here and it's not going to be based on the color of your skin or where you came from but it's going to be based on your efforts and instead these are actually the definition of discrimination to hire somebody based on their race alone i mean it'll be interesting to see if some of these policies that are being you know pursued in the name of racial justice might actually be challenged in the courts because they are discriminatory. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would think American Express might want to put together some economic literacy programs and say we understand that some uh, people are not getting the credit scores they need to have an American Express card. We'd like to help you. So Exactly. <laughs> yeah, here's some information that could be very helpful, and, and we'll partner with you to help you do this, whatever. But certainly don't lower the standards in order to, uh, quote-unquote, be woke. Right. Yeah, unbelievable. Rachel Gresler, again, she is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Heritage.org is the website. Rachel, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Dave Bego. He's a frequent guest on the show. Uh, Dave is the uh, president and CEO, founder of Executive Management Services, doing business in over 30 states with over 6,000 employees. Uh, he wrote a book called The Devil at Our Doorstep about the uh, travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years as they tried to get him to sign a neutrality agreement, which he refused to sign because it would have given them the permission to go and uh, harass and intimidate the, his employees into signing up for the union. He said, if you want to unionize us, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. For some reason, they didn't want to do that. And then Dave wrote a book about it, The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website NADC kids.com you'll be glad you did welcome back to the bob harton show and now here's your host bob harton thanks so much for joining us here on the show it's brought to you in part by the foundation for government accountability i proudly serve on their board uh, among other things they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work it's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, and he's also the founder, president, CEO of Executive Management Services. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. Dave, I always appreciate your point of view about what's happening in the country, and boy, we've had a lot of developments right now that are 
including Afghanistan, inflation, uh, the border, you name it, just appreciated he thought you might have. Well, we've got a president that is, uh, doesn't know what he's doing. And it's obvious when you watch him on TV and how he speaks and how he loses uh, his way. But uh, the other side of that, Bob, is he's controlled by the left. And uh, they're making him doing all these things because um, they want to control this country. And uh, by doing all this stuff, um, they're, they're taking away our privileges as Americans and, uh, and uh, putting people in place to allow them to do whatever they want to do. And um, they're going to continue to do this, Bob. It's going to get worse unless we stand up and stop them. Well, that's definitely been the theme in your book, and I think it's such an important message, Dave. And uh, the unions are a big part of that. And uh, what's going on on the union front? Well, here's the thing. The, um, <clears throat> the left has been, and Biden been working real hard on uh, moving the National Labor Relations Board from being a Republican majority to a Democratic majority. And believe it or not, today the NLRB will officially flip to a Democrat majority and get this, with former SEIU in-house counsel Dave Prouty replacing William Emanuel. Almo, uh, really? That, that is scary, Bob. Huh. Now, SEIU, uh, uh, unions are not all bad. Some unions are actually very functional, do a good job. SEIU, that's one of the bad guys. <laughs> they're not, they're not uh, helpful they're helping their employees, and they're basically in business to, to raise money for the Democrat Party. Well, that's right, and, you know, the SEIU, as I wrote in one of my blogs, are communists, and, um, you know, unfortunately, the left, they want to bring down this country and turn it into a socialist communist country, and they're putting people like this in charge so they can do it. Yeah. So what's going to be the implications for the National Labor Relations Board? What's going to happen as a result, do you think? Well, right away, you know... Uh, President Trump put a lot of places, uh, put things in place, and overturned a lot of things that the um, the Democrats had put in there that uh, were all pro-union things, and uh, gave the unions the power to force unionized people across the country and control businesses and that. And uh, it really turned it helped turn us into a a country that was very productive and and very lucrative. Uh, you know, our economy was doing great. Uh, but what they're going to do now is overturn all that, and that's their biggest goals here in the first uh, couple of weeks is to turn all that stuff over so that um, uh, the unions can go out and control the businesses and the employees and everything else that's going on in this country. All right, so basically uh, union uh, membership has dropped from something in the neighborhood of 20% back in the heyday. Back, I think it's down to about 7 or 8% if I'm not mistaken. And uh, basically, they, you know, what, what would happen here, as I understand it, is they would have a lot more, they would have uh, rules that make uh, getting people into unions a lot more lenient. For example, making health care workers, individual health care workers that are currently uh, independent contractors, they would all be employees. Well, that's exactly right. And here's the other thing is, and uh, this is part of the PRO Act that they um, have uh, been trying to get pushed through, and now they'll really push it through. Um, um, is that uh, in the PRO Act, it goes to card check, which is what the union, the SEIU, wanted to do. And they tried to force unionize all the cleaning companies across the country, which takes away the secret ballot election. It goes to card check, where they get a bare majority, 50% plus one, to sign a union card, and they're automatically union. And to facilitate that, all businesses are going to have to give uh, the, the uh, unions uh, their employees' uh, names and, and uh, contact information and their home addresses and that so they can go to their homes and tell them they didn't sign the uh, uh, cards and uh, they'll just overnight they'll be uh, unionized a lot of people across the country yeah uh, it's uh, it's a real shame and of course uh, once you read dave's book the devil at our doorstep you understand that the intimidation tactics the dirty tricks that they play uh, might, not but a heck of a lot different than what you see in the Democrat Party. So uh, they will use anything to get their way when it comes to unionizing. And what it amounts to is it simply creates a, a, a stream of funds coming into the Democrat Party from unions, uh, from employees, and many of whom uh, do not support the Democrat agenda. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, they don't like the fact that their dues money are going uh, towards that type of politics. And... Uh, People don't like it, but it, this is all about card check. And card check, just they can 
unionize people fast and to get their money and uh, and of course you know control the Democratic Party and give it money to keep growing and uh, they'll be out there um, you know forcing people to vote for the Democratic Party and uh, that's why they have the borders open too Bob is because all these people coming across the borders they'll make sure they get jobs and when the elections come up they'll um, go to them and, and uh, force them to vote for the Democratic Party yeah so uh, Trumpka died suddenly uh, at a young age uh, head of the AFL-CIO any thoughts on that what's the significance any, any comments at all I don't know uh, it's going to be interesting uh, they're actually replacing him with a gal and um, they think that uh, she'll do a good job and um, we'll, we'll see um, um, whether you know she is a, is a, a little bit better person as far as um, taking care of the uh, members mm-hmm. and how she uses her, their money. Yeah. Well, they, uh, the AFL-CIO is an amalgamation of, I think, something like 50 different organizations, smaller unions. So uh, they really don't have an interaction. Uh, I, think, I don't think they have too much interaction with employees themselves. I think it's mainly these other unions that do. But they have the force of... Uh, and their voice is, is much stronger as a result of people of these unions joining together. Yeah. Now, I, the article that I was reading about, they, they do say that um, um, that she will, her name is Shuler, she'll continue very much in the vein of Trumpka. And, um, uh, and although she bristles at the idea that AFL-CIO can't walk and chew gum at the same time by both organizing and pushing legislation, um, since she's a membership is continued to pre-fall during the trump Shula rule, there's not much evidence that the AFL-CIO can either walk or chew gum, but time will tell. So interesting. So uh, we should see a reduction in the number of uh, uh, public employees uh, participating in unions. I think if the Supreme Court made a ruling that uh, public employees do not have to participate in the unions if they don't want to. Uh, but I'm not seeing a big drop in in uh, in uh, activity or a big drop in the number of people who are in the unions in, from uh, public employees. Any comments? Yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll see some, but the problem is we got to understand behind the scenes, the employees are going to be um, threatened by the unions, and they're going to be afraid to drop. And uh, even even right-to-work states, like we have a situation up in northwestern or northeastern Indiana um, where the um, some employees, uh, they don't want to be part of the union anymore. And they're trying to um, um, get something uh, uh, put up where they can have a vote to get rid of the union. But the unions are fighting back and pushing them really hard. But here's the thing, Bob. We're a right-to-work state. Those people up there didn't really want to be in, uh, in the unions anymore. All they had to do is step out mm-hmm. because they don't have to pay dues anymore or anything like that. And, they, and that would get rid of the union for them. Why don't they do it? I think because, again... And this is what's going on, and and the federal government, employees working for the federal government, and all that is behind the scenes. They're being intimidated by the unions. Hmm. Uh, so sad. Uh, you just appreciate there is a role for unions. Unions can try to have be a voice for their employees. They can stand up for them, uh, have better working conditions. Uh, quite frankly, I think the real reason for unions existing has uh, passed its day because now employers totally understand that having good working conditions for their employees keeps employees, and it's a, it's very expensive to have a lot of turnover. So. Uh, many of the reasons for having a, a union have gone away, but there's still a, a, a role for them if, in fact, they could do their job as opposed to just trying to bilk employees out of their money and sending it to the Democrat Party. Well, that's it. And at the end of the day, uh, these bigger unions, and as you said, all unions aren't bad unions, and that's true. Um, but we have a, a group of unions out there that uh, they want to control the country and uh, they're going to keep fighting back and pushing hard to uh, take control. Dave, terrific interviewer. Just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. I just want to refer our listeners to your website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You can get a copy of the book uh, there and also on my website at a nice discount, or, of course, all book purveyors, thedevilatourdoorstep.com by Dave Bigo. Dave, genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob, and everybody on your show. Listen to your show ought to buy the book because it tells you what's really going on in this country. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave.
All right, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, on Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the fa- president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, we'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Father the Leader, in its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Always appreciate hearing from you. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. BobHarden at Hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. Dot com. <laughs>